I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 47 of Better Podcasting Live Chat. I am Steven, and I'm pleased to say that my partner in crime, well, we're not confessing to crimes, SP is here. Just gonna say, I wasn't there, you can't prove anything. How's everybody doing? It is good to be back in the seat talking about podcasting with Steven. This is our Better Podcasting Live Chat show, which means it's free form. We're not gonna do any editing to it, or lightly editing, as... <laughs> Steven says from time to time, and we are here to take questions from you. So if you want to join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, you can chat with us. We will talk back with you. And in just two weeks, we will start the Better Podcasting main show back. So you won't be able to talk to us. I mean, you'll be able to chat, but we won't be able to talk back until the end of the show. Yes. And hey, guess what? We we dubbed this. I think it was actually Damien, the DM, who is in our live chat tonight over at Geeks.Live. Uh, he actually, I believe, dubbed this the year or the, the season of experimenting. I think that's what he said. It was experimenting with various different things for this Better Podcasting live chat season two. And we are again tonight. I actually, on my lunch today, came across something that is on the video streaming side of things. And uh, I'll start off just by talking about it right now. Let's let's throw that out here right now, because if you were to go over to our Facebook or our Facebook, my Facebook, actually, if you go over to there and hopefully in the future on the actual better podcasting uh, main, you would see I'm streaming to Facebook. But you would say, oh, Stephen, that's not a new thing. You've done that before. In fact, it was only once you came back and Restream had reduced the Restream source or destinations down to two, you stopped doing Facebook. And I would say, yes, you are correct. But what you don't know is that over on Facebook, you would be able to embrace the modern social media times and you would be able to take your phone and hold it up like this, which to the audio listener, I am holding it up in the vertical position because I am actually streaming at the same time a slightly different version of this show over to Facebook, which is a vertical version of this show. This is something that um, I, yeah, I came across this today. It's actually an OBS plugin. So if you are somebody that's streaming your podcast using OBS, there's something called vertical, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes over at betterpodcasting.com. But what it allows you to do is basically run a second set of scenes in OBS. For those of you who aren't familiar with what OBS is, it's essentially the way that's the video switching aspect. So that's where a lot of people who are live streaming video go and they compile the different video if they're wanting to get a little more advanced where you basically take a picture and you take, uh, or you take a video source and you add something in there to, you know, spice it all up. Uh, that's how a lot of gamers do, do live streaming, do things is through OBS so that they've got their little picture there in the corner along with the game that they're playing. And this vertical plugin allows you to run a second set of those scenes that are targeted in or, or laid out in a different manner. So 
on the widescreen version of this show, if you were to go just to betterpodcasting.com, the regular version, you would Don see... Don Mock with his arms open. <laughs> That's a nice uh, Star Trek pull. Uh, but, but if you were to go there on the regular version, you would see me on the left side of the screen and SP on the right. That's because it's a widescreen format. But right now, if you were to go over to look at the vertical side of things, you would see on Facebook a stacked version. So I'm on top and SP's on bottom. And so that's... <laughs> I, I was thinking about reversing it just to throw things up because, you know, throw things around, right? Because I'm on the left uh, on the main. I was thinking about switching it. But uh, so it's it's got the capability, this plugin that was created, which is free at the moment, has this ability uh, to do this. And I, I, I came across on my lunch. I have about an hour after work between when we're supposed to start streaming. And that's why we're streaming a little bit late today because I wanted to, after work, throw some things together and and uh, get it all set up. And I managed to just so that we could experiment. And um, yeah, it's cool because it's it's at the same time. So this is, I think, kind of something that if, if you're somebody that is doing video and you really want to embrace video in social media norms, I hate vertical video myself. I'm not a vertical video fan. I don't like it. But the thing is, a lot of these video platforms that are in social media norms they really are meant for vertical because a lot of them are phone based. And so when you're looking at things like Instagram or you're looking at things like TikTok or other, you know, YouTube shorts, the, these social media style video things, they're they're generally meant to be vertical. And so your widescreen video, if you are somebody streaming widescreen, doesn't always play well without some manipulation. So if you're doing OBS, you could even if you didn't want to stream it. This plugin allows you to record that vertical thing independently. And the other aspect of it is it has what's called like a replay mode where you can go in and you can set it to create a clip based off of the prior X amount of seconds. So it's kind of buffering all the time. And so if something funny happens, you could actually go and you could say snap that. And if you had it, say, set to backup 60 seconds, it would create you a clip from 60 seconds previous. And so that could be a pretty helpful thing for creating little social media clips that you're going to throw out there rather than having to take it all into your editor afterwards, spend the time to realign things, you know, crop one person. And and like in our situation, I'd have to go take in our vertical, our wide video, crop it so that you're taking a square from my frame, taking a square from SP's frame, rearrange it and put it into a vertical format for publishing on one of those. If we were trying to really push our video social media aspect. But in this, we could just run a concurrent stream, even if we're not streaming it, but like a concurrent recording that I could go and I could just clip it out of that or use that replay feature just to clip back when something amusing happens and it would be ready to go. Now, this is going to be more work if you're going to do it. We've talked about before, doing a video show in itself is more than, than doing an audio podcast. And now you're adding an extra layer where you have to go and create a, a second set of templates. It's something else you need to worry about. And you know, if if something changes, you need to reconfigure two things. An example of that is while we set up this show, we talked about the two different frames side by side. Well, there is an element of SP's frame that is cropped because he is using and mine because because we're using widescreen cameras, but side by side, meaning our individual frames on the wide version are square. Well, when SP connected, every time he connects, because sometimes, you know, he'll, he'll be a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the right, right. I go and I move his frame to make sure it is it is mostly centered 
in that crop. Well, I had to do that for both today, where I had to make sure that he was centered on the widescreen and on the vertical. So every week it would be a, a, an extra step. So, you know, obviously your mileage may vary. You might not think it's worth it. But if you were somebody that was doing video and you really wanted to embrace that video side of things, uh, this could really be a game changer for you. And I'll tell you that for me, I'll probably, you know, unless something like this comes to XSplit, I was planning on going back to XSplit once parameters changed in my studio that made it uh, less favorable for the green screening in in, o in OBS over XSplit. I was planning on going back to XSplit, but I'll probably stick with this because I could actually see these being kind of handy to if we did all of a sudden want to just have a clip um, that was going out on a vertical platform. And I could see that happening at some point, especially because I know you have that special... Uh, the Stephen fan Instagram. So question for you, because I wasn't listening as I normally don't to you. Let's just rehash. Is this an OBS or a restream product? So this is an OBS product. This is a, this is not an OBS product. This is a plugin somebody made for OBS. So it's not, okay. not created by OBS, the, the developers of OBS. It is a pro, uh, plugin, I guess you'd call it add-in that someone made for OBS. And you're able to stream from OBS to the Facebook from OBS. Yes, I am. Because what happens is there's actually on the vertical configuration, there is a separate destination. Um, so when you when you use OBS or exploit, you have to go in and you have to say, this is where I want to live stream to. And in OBS, unless you use another plugin, you only get to send to one URL. That's all you get. Exploit, you get multiple. But here you can only do to one unless you use a plugin. Well, with the vertical, it gives you a second set of parameters, I guess because the developers were smart and knew, hey, you're not going to be sending the same to wide as you would be to, to vertical. So you have essentially a second destination of where you're streaming out, which I've configured on the, uh, on, on the vertical um, side of things. So that way it's sending out to the Facebook, sending out to the Facebook through those parameters. So in your I was second distracted by a Facebook comment. <laughs> so in your second set of parameters, is it only one streaming destination? Like you can't do the Instagram, the Facebook and the TikTok all together. Exactly. It's only one. So you would have to use something that is combining it. Now, that's not to say that there wouldn't be a third-party plugin available maybe eventually or they'd change it. But for now, it is only one like the core unmodified version of OBS is. Only one for wide. All right. Well, I think it's better than nothing. Yeah. And I think since there are so many people that like the vertical video integration because their only interface is with their phone, is that I think this is going to be good for a lot of people. For me, I'm gonna retire soon. I don't <laughs> care, right? But but I know a lot of our listeners do care, right? So it was a really cool thing that you found, and I'm glad we were trying it out. And I'm not sure if I'll ever try it out or not, but we'll see. Uh, in our chat, by the way, we did have Damien. We had Damien say, uh, "He's a demon." <laughs> no, Damien say, "Is the vertical being recorded as well?" BP coming to TikTok. Uh, first off. BP is not coming to TikTok, at least at the moment, because neither of us have the time for it. But but secondly, um, it is recording. It is actually recording independently. In theory, we'll see what happens when we're done recording, whether it's there or not. But there is just like the separate stream 
options, there is a separate set of recording options for the vertical as well. And I did actually set it to record the whole time. And the reason why I did that, for those of you who are wondering if there is, you know, I mentioned there's this this replay option. Uh, I did that because I might want to just go and crop something out that I forget to hit replay that I am editing a show later and I go, hey, you know, that actually would be, make a great social media clip. And then I have the full vertical video ready to go that I could just reference back to the time and pull it out. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested. And I think this could really be a game changer for people who are really serious about their video side of everything, including social media. So. So for Strange New Worlds fan cast, I'm just guest producing that show during the Picard season three, but I have been pulling clips. So it is not a video show. We do connect over StreamYard so that I can record and edit the way I normally do. And I've been pulling just normal clips from the recording session and I've been giving them to Shannon and then she's been posting them. It's not vertical. It is the normal horizontal video, dumbed down to 720. but that's what it is. And I could see that if I had this sort of capability, that it would work better for that sort of marketing. Just spitballing. I think it would. Would it though? Because I, I don't isn't, know. isn't the marketing really horizontal? I mean, the live stuff is vertical, but is, is the marketing stuff vertical? I guess it depends on your platform where you're, where you're going to. So um, I don't wear platform shoes. <laughs> Not yet, anyways. Well, I mean, there's always a possibility, I guess. I, I'm just saying, you know, they look extremely uncomfortable, and why Why would you? I, uh, unless I was trying to conceal something in the platform. Oh, is that where you're going to store your uh, bootleg Canadian maple syrup? Yeah, I was thinking bootleg Canadian something. It wasn't maple <laughs> syrup, though. All right. If anybody has any questions about this, please uh, get in touch with us. You can email podcast at betterpodcasting.com or you can go over and uh, to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can also find our comments section over at betterpodcasting.com. And if you want to find all of our contact, you can. It's betterpodcasting.com slash contact. Uh, love to hear from you what questions you have because this is brand new to me. And maybe you're thinking of something that I haven't already. And uh, I'd like to find that answer for you. Sounds good to me. So we had kind of an active week here. What do you want to touch first? Do you want to go the YouTube route first? Yeah, let's do that because that is actually a really interesting podcast topic that uh, I, I threw one comment out on Mastodon and and apparently some people are downplaying it. It was fun interaction, actually. Go ahead. Well, I mean, so... What I've been able to ascertain so far, and to be honest, I have not been able to go into the back end. It's just been a busy, very, very busy week for me. So apparently you can go into the back end of your YouTube channel and you can make a playlist, a podcast, and then that's taken by YouTube and thrown into their podcast gonculator. And then eventually it's going to be able to be played in YouTube music. So I think that's the way forward here, but it's not an RSS feed. It's just a different way to distribute a playlist in your podcast channel or in your YouTube channel. And I'm unclear to be honest with you, because I've heard that some channels you can designate as a podcast, but are they talking about that 
or are they talking about designating a playlist as a podcast or both? I'm a little confused here and I have to honestly go in and play with it a little bit to be able to talk about it a little bit more. But that in of itself is a thing. And it's important for hobby podcasters because the algorithm will be able to snatch up what it deems to be important and be able to market it and show it to other people on their pages, whatever their, you know, their, their search pages or their browser pages or whatever. So I think it's important to distribute. I have poo-pooed this for a very long time. I've said, yes, it's a, a great secondary destination. I think it's still a great secondary destination, even with these changes. But with more and more people consuming podcasts, and I put the little air quotes up for those that are not watching the video, podcasts, I think it's a good way to market your stuff to even throw a static image up. And before I'd be like, don't do a static image. Yeah. It's not going to do well with the algorithm. But if this is particularly plucking those video files with the static imaging and then being able to distribute it to uh, YouTube music and have people play it without their screens on, I think we're now at the point where it's viable to the point where you should be doing it now. I 100% agree with you. I think this is one of those things that are, are like many since we've been doing this show for many years that you know, you're going to look back on our past episodes and you're going to think, wow, that really is dated advice because I, I agree. I think if you are someone who is thinking at all about spending the time to get your video up into YouTube or you use a media host that does allow automatic upload, do it with a static image. I think this completely changes everything, but you need to make sure you set your YouTube channel up properly according to what they've got for the uh, podcast side of things because they do actually talk in that introduction uh, post that they made or it was either the post or the video. They talk about how um, you don't want to put the term podcast in your title unless it is part of your title of your show. And that tells me that they are looking at it. The algorithm is looking at things differently for the podcast than the videos, if they're actually saying, leave that out. So for the record, from what I've able to read so far, there are two different ways that you can do this. It could either be an entire channel that's set up as a podcast or a playlist that's set up as a podcast. So there are multiple ways to do this, at least what I've seen. I've also seen that the entire thing is not out yet, and they, they are slowly rolling it out. First, they said, everything's live, everything's available. And then they backtracked and they said, well, we're still working on things and they should be out by the end of the week. It's the middle of the week. I haven't seen everything yet. And to be honest, we're not the only ones confused. Everybody in the space is kind of confused of what's going on here. I've seen multiple posts from multiple people that cover this stuff for perpetuity. And like Steph Fuccio, who's listener to Better Podcasting, she's actually started a blog. She's got this... Uh, editing group, this global podcast editing group that she has. Uh, she's got a Substack email list. She's got shows that go along with it. Well, on her website, she actually started a running blog, you know, like a real-time live blog of what the changes are from day to day. And I was reading it and there was only a couple of entries, but I know there's going to be more. So that link will be in our show notes, but it is incredibly difficult to keep up with this sort of stuff as it's happening real time. And I'll bet you that Google slash Alphabet slash YouTube is going to be changing stuff on the fly as this thing goes. 
Do I think this will be a significant percentage of your consumption, of your audience? Potentially. It depends on how your audience is actually consuming your show. So again, I think it's important that you try this out for your show and see if it works for you or not. I'm guessing that as the airways get clogged with more and more shows that are being tagged podcasts and the algorithm has to chug all that stuff to try to send the most important stuff to different people that you're going to get less and less and less results from it. So the earlier you get on the bandwagon, the better off you're going to be. A couple quick notes for me. Um, I did go in and I looked a little bit at this. I did not see the part that you mentioned that it could be a channel only. I, it looked to me like they were two different options pointing to the same thing where if you went in, you went new podcast. It's just basically creating a playlist marked as a podcast. And then you could go to a podcast and convert it over to a podcast. That was my limited experience. What I saw, um, so I did the not graphic, see the graphics itself show the same thing, but the words say something different. Hmm. Yeah. When I went looking, I didn't, I didn't see anything about sending your whole channel. Not to say it wasn't there. I'm just saying from what I can see, I didn't see it. So fine. I mean, this is all confusing to everybody it is. and it's, it's probably changing on the hour. Um, I went to actually set up the Better Podcasting live chat playlist on the uh, Better Podcasting um, YouTube. I I went to set that up as a podcast, and then I realized that our auto um, adding function that we had had where you can go into YouTube and you can tell it to automatically add a, a, a video based off of everything was all messed up. So I had to manually do it, and I have to rearrange a few things. So it's not ready to go yet. It looked like it was going to be a simple process. One thing, though, that I, I did notice was they actually specifically call out if you're going to do a podcast one, make sure you're uploading a square thumbnail for podcasts. That's what it says is you need to have a, a square thumbnail for the podcasts. And that's to what? do with I think that's to do with the playlist only. I don't think that's to do with the individual video. But to me, it doesn't make sense. I don't know why they're not doing dual purpose thumbnails that I think that would be easy enough where you could have it so that someone could crop down a video if they only want a square one or if it's going to be something that could be both you would just set the region for where you wanted the um the square to be out of a, a wide one to because i think a lot of uh creative people would would do that they would design a wide like for us we could take our better podcasting logo uh live chat and we could just move the text a little more center and then crop it like that that'd be fine it looked great on both i did notice that that's a question i had about it um, the other thing that I saw was they actually in the documentation somewhere, and I don't remember if this was on the Google help or if this was actually while you're in there or this was in the video, they reference not putting other podcasts in that aren't from your channel. Well, this creates a bit of a problem for people who have had the length of a pod, like uh, the history of a podcast across multiple channels. And I'll give you an example of that. Us, when you look at the better podcasting main show, not the live chat. We started by uploading to the Better Podcasting main channel. Then we uploaded for a very long time to the Gunna Geek channel. And then recently we went back to the Better Podcasting main channel. Well, now we have to go and either re-upload all the videos and create duplicate content, which is not fun from a time perspective, let alone a user experience perspective. Or we just go and we create a playlist that that references those that other channel. So like we'd create the Better Podcasting playlist probably on the YouTube channel. And then we would link in the other, um, link in the Gunna Geek videos. Now, 
I'm wondering if they're just saying that because they don't want people creating quote podcasts where they're just adding someone else's content to the playlist. I'm wondering if that's their way around it because they're recognizing, hey, we're doing a playlist approach, but the playlists allow external videos. So let's just tell people they shouldn't do it. And and I'm sure everyone will be honest. Everybody's honest in life. I don't know. I I or if it's just a hard limitation. I haven't gone that far yet, but um it's a question mark that I had. Say, so I'll just throw this out here now. Have you heard about Apple Podcast channels? Hashtag no. I don't know. Right. I, I was talking so, hashtag because of the Discord channels. Yeah. So I just heard about this peripherally today. I haven't had a chance to really look into it, but apparently Apple Podcasts are now authorizing you to create a channel. You know how people have want, been wanting to create mega feeds for a while and Apple says, no, you're duplicating the podcast and that sort of stuff. Or if you're a network, you want to create a space for all the podcasts on the network. Apparently, Apple has now created a channel place for all the podcasts. Now, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, because I'm on the Apple Podcast for Creators website and it's on a create a channel uh, blog, it's saying that the show can only be part of one channel at a time. So if you wanted to be part of a network, but yet be part of similar shows over here, you can't do both. You have to do one or the other. Apparently, according to this, and I know a lot of people have asked for this sort of thing. I just don't know what, how useful it's going to be other than people can follow or more importantly, subscribe. I think you can set it up as a monetary subscription to get all the podcasts underneath one banner. So I'll look into this more over the next week and we'll talk about it next week, but it looks like an interesting development. You know, what's interesting about this is that I think this is actually um, a idea that's coming back because there was a long time ago, there was some weird way that you could associate podcasts together on Apple, on iTunes at the time. And it was very similar where you couldn't be in multiple and I remember this came up really early in the Gunna Geek Network days and um, someone, it might have even been Wing, had brought it up. And it, to me, it was like, what? It's too much work. It's too, too like it was a really roundabout thing that you could somehow associate them together. And I don't remember the details, but it kind of went away. So it, it's interesting. They're starting to bring it back if that if it's similar to that idea that I'm remembering. Yeah, it seems like it was. That's what I was saying before is like we've been through this before. I remember the Gunna Geek. You'd have to tag a show as Gunna Geek. Yeah. And then it would be kind of like owned by Gunna Geek. I mean, the individuals still own their content. But as far as it being shown in iTunes, it was shown as part of the network. So I think it's very similar. But I haven't seen that for a while. We haven't dealt with that for a while. So maybe this is just rehashing that old idea. But they're integrating subscriptions as well, which is I think is important because they want to, you know, throw that paywall in there. And if it's a way for them to make <laughs> seriously, yeah. if it's a way to, for them to make money, then I think they'll pay a little bit more attention to the space than they weren't. There are those that say there's no other company that has done more for podcasting than Apple has. And you need to sit, sit, sit down and shut up about uh, criticizing Apple and no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apple is not above criticism. We yeah. can criticize Apple. Yes. Thank you for providing this infrastructure. But can you pay a little bit more attention to it? We'd appreciate it. 
Uh, back on really quick about the YouTube podcast thing. The only thing that I wanted to actually chime in, you talked about, you know, its future. The thing that I potentially see happening with it is the same way that we saw Spotify, where casual listeners of podcasts might go to the thing that they know. And if, mm-hmm. if you know, with Spotify, there were people that, you know, you and I have both shared experiences that we've had with Average Joe's, Average Jane's which pulled up Spotify to listen to podcasts because that was where they got their music. And if this is the same thing that people are tend to go to YouTube, especially with things like higher data plans in certain countries where people just may pull up YouTube videos or having um, the YouTube paid version where you can play it in the background, they might just, someone might just choose to go to YouTube in order to try to find their podcasts. And so I think potentially you're right. I think potentially it could be something that, could have a lot of people finding podcasts through it if that's follows a similar path. Yeah, if I'm going to share an audio only podcast, I'm going to send them a Spotify link because I know that they're probably going to have a Spotify app on their phone and it'll just be easy for them to uh, load it up and then listen to the show. If I know they use an app, I'll send it to them on an app. And if I know that they know how to use a podcast listening app of their choice. I will just send them to the website and say, you know, find this show on your app and you should be fine there. But YouTube is also where a bunch of people get all of their content now. Mm-hmm. A young, younger crowd, largely, but it could be some older people as well. So anyway, having YouTube being a destination, I think, as I said before, it's a good thing. You should jump on it now to be able to get whatever leg up that you can in the algorithm. And just because I, I took us back, I went, you took us one way, I took us back another. I'm going to take it back to the way you went. Uh, just like Apple, who has been a little problematic with setting out certain parameters and things like that, I fear that for the YouTube thing right now. Particularly, there's not a lot of guidance right now about about the platform, even from the perspective of titles. I would like to know, like, sure, they say don't put the term podcast in there, but I would like to know, do you have guidance around the individual episode titles? Because should I be putting my podcast name in the title? Should I not be? Should should I put the episode number in there? Should I not be? I, I'm not sure. But um, hey, the other thing is, did you notice that you and I Keep calling it a podcast because that's what the mainstream is going to probably refer to it as. So take that, you know who. So as far as Alphabet goes, you and I, from the start of Better Podcasting, we've been through two iterations of Alphabet's podcasts. There was Google Play Music or Google Play Podcasts, right? And that's gone. That like left in the middle of the night. It was dead anyway, but it left in the middle of the night where nobody really knew it was operating or not. And now there's Google Podcasts. And we've had nothing but problems with Google Podcasts. And to be honest with you, even lately, it is the last to index new episodes. Because I go in and try to promote. I I do a post over on the R Podcasting subreddit of all the new shows every week. And I try to grab as many destinations as I can to throw in there. And I get to Google Podcasts. And it's like the one that says, oh, the new episode isn't here. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's everywhere else. But it's not here? Really? So I'm not surprised that Alphabet is launching into this with uh, YouTube music and try to integrate with that because that's where they're going to make the money. They're trying to integrate it where there's money, which is YouTube, because I don't think they're making a dime off of Google Podcasts. 
other than maybe ad revenue through searches and stuff like that, right? Which is not as much as through YouTube. So Alphabet is the big company is saying, probably told somebody, gave them the direction to let's focus on YouTube. I don't know if Google podcasts are going away, but I know that there's continual problems with it and very little attention being paid to it. You know, there's a thought that I had about about this um, when we were talking before, last week about the whole ad thing, where if you were to host over on Spotify for podcasts, formerly known as Anchor, you might get an ad randomly thrown thrown on your video or your uh, podcast that you don't know the content, maybe you don't approve of. Well, here's the thing that happens on YouTube all the time with creators trying to monetize. And we, we as creators accept that we accept that, that there's the algorithm will choose the ad that is being played. And if this does take off YouTube podcasts and presumably they throw ads on there in the same way, that might change the landscape a little bit for the, you know, sort of traditional uh, podcast platforms that are audio only with RSS because if YouTube does it and a lot of people are like, hey, yeah, that's fine. I accept that. Well, now it doesn't sound so bad if Spotify is randomly throwing ads on your podcast as well, because it's kind of the same idea. So, you know, it it might change perception a little bit in the podcast industry if YouTube podcast does work. And maybe <laughs> I, I still on my shows, since I'm not monetizing, I don't want any ads on them because I'm not benefiting from them whatsoever. So no, I don't want ads on it. Now, I do realize if I want to be where the audience is and if the audience is a place where they expect to throw ads, yeah, you're going to throw ads on there and you're going to benefit and I'm not. But it, I don't know. It's I would prefer no ads. So if there's a place that I can get the content without ads, probably for the best, even if it's my own website. Also in our chat, we had Damien, the DM, say, I've already ignored Apple's guidance on episode titles. So there you so go. So many things that I've ignored from Apple. Now, there's some things that you have to like abide by, like the podcast logos, right? They have to be 1,400 by 1,400 pixels to up to 3,000 by 3,000 and be under 512 kilobytes. And if that doesn't work, then you're not getting listed in Apple Podcasts. So there's some things that you have to apply by. And there's other things that you could just wait out what their standards are. And then those people will leave. And then the whole flow, the whole process will be forgotten because it's not automated. It's actually people in the back room going, ooh, I'm going to delete this show because it's, it's uh, violating this. Click. I'm going to delete this show because it's violating this. Click. You know, they, they do it so manually it's so stupid and it's because they're not applying resources to it because it's not a cost center they're not making money from it right mm -hmm. so as soon as they make money from it then they'll pay attention to it in our chat room by the way johnny brings up a really good point you know obviously we know that youtube podcast is not a podcast so if we really want to support a podcast then we should change our show to the the uh better media show because we can't be better podcasting if we're going to go there and support something that's not a podcast as being called a podcast again once once again sp and i don't actually believe that we we believe that the the general public will determine what the term podcast is so there you go we can't somebody already owns the domain <laughs> really oh well there you go johnny 
<laughs> We're stuck calling it a podcast. Sorry, Johnny. You lose. Uh, don't go to that domain. We don't know what's on it. Uh, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to uh, bring up here a little bit was a comment that we had in our Discord over this past week, which was, was an interesting comment because this gets into the, the thick of producing audio. And this question came from Anthony from Capes of the Couch podcast. Capes on the Couch podcast. My apologies, Anthony. He said, does anyone know how to make a phone call sound not like a phone call? I had a guest record lines for my episode on their phone and the audio quality sounds well like it was recorded on a phone. I know how to make audio sound like a phone call, but I don't know if there is a specific set of filters or plugins that would make the quality sound less horrible. Thanks. Now, he, the problem, just to spell this all out here, is that, you know, when you've got an audio medium and you have people listening, they're going to be focused more on things like audio quality. And if you have one person that is recorded into a pretty reasonable standard microphone or, you know, audio setup of some form, and then you got the other person on telephone, it's very apparent. The telephone person is going to sound quite horrible uh, in comparison just because it is a lot worse quality. And the general consensus came up, and I'll, we'll read out a comment we had in a minute from Josh Liston. But what we had in, our, in there was basically accept the fact that it's low quality and do what you can to try to enhance it. Maybe you're going to have to add a little compression. You're going to be missing a lot of frequency. So maybe you can try to dial up a certain area and dial down certain frequencies so that it sounds a little bit um, more better i don't know <laughs> it sounds better um i was gonna say less crappy that's what i was gonna say but i didn't want to say it, but i will um and you could maybe experiment with eq but sp made a really good comment he said you're missing a lot of the frequency by it being on telephone and 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 you can't bring back what's not there no you can't you can try to disguise it you can try to make it what you have make it sound a little bit better but you're never going to be able to make it sound like it was actually recorded using a full spectrum worse. The important part here, I think, is Anthony said it all was a mute point because when you record to voice memo on a phone, and I don't know what kind of phone he's talking about. I'm going to guess an iPhone, but I don't know. When you record, then you can actually take the M4A file and you can email that to somebody. I've actually done this before, so I understand what he's talking about. I've recorded stuff using the voice memo. I've emailed it to myself or I've transferred the file from my iCloud to my computer and I've gone into Audacity or Vegas Pro and I've done some EQ on it, some, you know, throwed some plugins on it and it sounds okay. It does not sound like I'm missing frequencies. So I'm not sure how he was listening to it that it, it, to begin with that he thought it sounded like a phone call. Maybe he had it shared to him on a text or something like that, and he was listening to it on his phone. I don't know the full part there, but I know that if you record into a voice memo, it's not like recording into a phone. Now, if you use your phone to call into like a voicemail or something like that, it's going to sound like a phone. And I've got one of those voicemails on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If anybody calls in, I can only do so much with that. And it just sounds like a phone call, which is fine because it's a voicemail and I'm playing a voicemail on the podcast. That's okay. But Anthony was using it as reading lines for his show. 
like somebody was calling in as a voice actor and reading lines. So you want that to sound good. You don't want that to sound like a phone call. Uh, why don't you go ahead and recap Josh's feedback that he gave? Josh said, I've mixed well over 100 phone calls in the last decade, and they're always tricky. One thing you can try is to gradually reduce the low-end information across the last 8 to 10 words on your side of the conversation before you throw it to your guest. That way, the drastic change in low-end information isn't so obvious to the listener. I've done this many times, and it works. Also, the lack of frequencies in a phone call can also feel like there's a volume difference to the listener, even if your DAW is telling you the peaks are the same. So mix it with your ears and not your eyes. You might need to increase their channel volume and decrease your channel volume tracks. We'll, we'll change out channel to track there. Decrease your track volume slightly to balance the perceived volume levels in the finished tracks. That audio thing, uh, level thing is so important elsewhere too when you're mixing your podcast because a plugin that is is hard uh, limiting or or hard compressing to a certain um, volume level will take you most of the way, but you will find that perceived audio is different, and that's where luffs is really important. Um, that's loudness is really important. Where you're there's a, a certain standard that um, is a loudness standard, and that's basically the perceived audio, what people think that they're hearing or how it it feels more to someone and. A great example of that is this show. SP and I have have different voices. And I do, if you go and analyze it, I do run my channel, my track, a little louder than SP's because with his boomy voice that, that or at least perceived boomy voice compared to mine, it, I know SP always shakes his head. He's like, I don't have a no, boomy no, no. voice, but, but his voice compared to mine, he does generally come off louder than me, even though that's not the case. So that's how I usually mix it. And when you're doing something like telephone, that's going to be even more apparent because there's so much frequency missing. So that's so funny because in person, if your voice is anything like your brother's, because I've met your brother in person, I have not met you in person yet. That's going to come. But I am always quieter than your brother was. Right. So I'm assuming in person you're louder than me. Oh, no, you're quieter than your brother was. Yeah, no, he, he got all the boom. Okay. <laughs> well, well, anyway, so there's that. But the other thing I was going to say is I'm mixing Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Strange New Worlds fan cast. I will always put extra gain on the tracks of everybody else to make them sound louder than me. I will put less gain on my track and I will try to compress it as well as I can. But I know through my ears that if I use the same volume increase on everything the same gain i'm you know using amplify to equal everything if i use the same amount i'm going to overpower everybody so i've learned to back mine off and then everybody else well specifically and i don't want to generalize here but specifically the women that i podcast with so lauren michelle shannon they all get an extra boost and i get less of a boost and some other people also get an extra boost. Chris gets an extra boost because he's recording at a lower volume. Jake gets a little bit extra boost, but less than Shannon because he also records a little bit lower. But overall, it's the women get more of a boost than the guys do. 
And this is something that will come into play with different microphones too. You might have people who have similar voices, but they have different microphones. If you have somebody that is using an SM7B versus somebody using an Electrovoice RE320, you're probably going to have to play around with that as well, even if they have similar voices, because the SM7B is a, is a more bottom-heavy microphone than the RE320. And the RE320, it, it shines more in the high end. Like, you, you know, you listen to an RE320 compared to many other microphones, and it has this unique higher-end quality that sounds good. Um, I'm not knocking on it, but it is unique. And so that's going to somewhat, th those two are going to contrast and you're going to have to experiment with the gain. And the other thing, hey, while we're talking about gain, I'm going to throw a random point out here. Just be aware, a lot of people are recording mono and then maybe eventually uploading in stereo. There, there is, It's important that you know that you will drop in audio when you go from mono file to stereo. It's the way it works. And uh, I totally forgot about that when I switched over to DaVinci Resolve in my template. It took me most of Better Podcasting Season 2 before I realized, wait a minute, that final version's quite quiet. Why is that? Why? Oh, I forgot to uh, set the thing in the final mix that I had had previously set up in uh, Vegas. So just know that. Yeah, so I've had to, the, a lot of the files that I've been getting have been stereo, but I've been editing in mono. So there's been a lot of times where I have to go from stereo to mono. And what I've been doing for the large part, since microphones are mono, unless you're recording in stereo with two microphones, they're going to be mono. I've just been taking the left track. And a lot of times when you're talking about audio in the digital realm, the left track is the preferred track anyway, even though both tracks should be about the same. The left track seems to get more of the quality, more of whatever. I don't know why that is. It just kind of is. If you compare them, maybe you're lucky and you get the same. I don't know. But so I just split the tracks uh, from stereo to mono, and then I get rid of the right channel, and then I proceed with the one left channel. But then when I render the final video version, not the podcast version, but the video version, it goes to stereo. And like you said, the volume goes down. And here, I found a really good post about this a while back, and I, I, it was in my history, believe it or not. Apparently, I uh, haven't heard my history in a while. And uh, this was the poster. They go, uh, the summation of two identical signals of equal amplitude oh, yeah. and phase increases the level of the resulting signal, hence the attenuation on the stereo uh, bus, which is term within the, the DAW, to produce equal power output and equal perceived loudness. This is the result of pan law in this case minus three decibel compensation being applied so apparently there was an actual term for it and i hadn't heard about that until recently so pan law all right yeah i haven't looked into it i just saw this post and it sounded like they knew what they were talking about was it from the 49ers in the gold rush when they it were doing the pans yeah, so, yeah it's right it was i, I think right. that that's what happened was that you would be filling up your gold pan and they would cancel out a little bit when uh when you spilled some when, when the boss came by and took yeah. his little yeah that's a better way than where i was going i had no, yeah. no no finish for my joke uh <laughs> so last week i talked about the roadcaster pro 2 and i said i was gonna take a look at it well the past week has a little bit been busy i didn't feel really great over the weekend so i didn't have a chance to mess around with it i'm going to mess around with it over the next week and reload it from scratch 
And the reason why is I had last night on Better Podcasting Chats with SP, I actually had it freeze up during the recording. Now, it, record, it recovered very quickly. It was in the span of one word, but it was still very weird. I heard it in my ears. It was on all the recordings. So I know it was the Rochester Pro 2. It wasn't the internet connection. It wasn't where I was recording, whether it was YouTube or StreamYard or whatever. The same defect was on all the tracks. So I know it was the Rochester Pro 2. I looked over and I I wish I could describe it. I just remember I'm in the middle of a show. We're just talking about producing and I'm trying to keep the show going. And I hear this and I looked over and the screen went weird, like digitized or something like that. And then I looked back at them like, oh, did I drop the internet connection? And I looked back and it was fine and it was hearing fine. So anyway, my point is I am going to do the reset that they had requested from the get go. And hopefully the gremlins will be gone from this, but it could be continual hardware issues because this is a renewed device, basically. So I want to make sure if it is a hardware issue that I get a new hardware that doesn't have these issues. I was just going to say that I'm not opposed to them sending out a, uh, a fixed device given the history of the problem. I was opposed to them sending you one that had marks on the bottom that clearly they didn't even put effort into making sure it looked totally good. But if you reset and you still have problems, I would absolutely push for them and and tell them like, this is ridiculous. And you had this unit come back. It wasn't in a new state. You had nothing but problems with it. This is your second unit and, and really push for a new one because that might happen. Uh, they might be able to do it. I don't know if they would or not. I had that happen with my Google Pixel 6 phone last year where I had had a re- refurb sent out to me. It looked like it was in great shape, but there was problems. And and I pushed back to them and I said, like, I, I don't want to go through this a second time. And they did end up actually sending me a brand new one. Um, Even though it was Pixel 6, it was totally brand new, not re- reasserted at all. It was in the factory packaging and everything. So um, maybe they do the same and make sure you get a new one because that's frustrating. I'd be frustrated if I were you. Yeah, I'm a little frustrated. Now, it could have just been a hiccup, a mild hiccup, like, I, I, I don't know what would cause it, but I'm starting to see more and more. Now, I haven't had a freeze upon startup in a while, so maybe, I don't know. We'll see. If it continues, though, I, I do want a new one. I don't want to keep this going on. So we also, in our Discord server, we had a question about a Humble Bundle that had included Vegas Pro. I believe it was Pro. It wasn't Edit. It was 18, but I don't know if it was Pro or Edit. It might have been. I think it was Vegas Pro Edit. Vegas Pro Edit. Vegas Vegas Pro (laughs) Edit 18. And the question was, is this a good deal? And for what? 35 bucks? Vegas Pro Edit 18? I think that's a good deal. 18 was relatively good. There are some things that didn't translate or some new things in 19 that you're not going to get in 18, but it's a solid editor. And 20 is out now. So I did not know that. Yeah. So you're you're looking at too old, which is the usual of Humble Bundle um, at this time. Normally it is uh, a couple generations old. That's what I've found. I think it's okay. good. I think if you want to experiment, experiment with it, you should. Um, it, it's a good piece of software as far as functionality goes. I will say that if you're somebody that is looking to get into a more complex DAW, 
after using DaVinci Resolve for a while, I, I, I might look at that first. I do think that there's enough features for an average user, especially, and uh, average user plus in DaVinci Resolve over Vegas. And although there are bugs, although there are some shortcomings that I, things that I do miss about Vegas Pro, um, I do think that it is a much more stable experience in DaVinci Resolve and it's free. Now, with that said, the playback to me, and, and this could be a setting, I haven't experimented yet with the audio settings. I do feel like the playback, like if you're wanting to, to do some play pause editing, I think Vegas Pro is, is far better. When you go to go with DaVinci Resolve, sometimes there's, often I found actually that there's a little bit of a stutter where sometimes it'll start playing a little bit before where you want it to start and you kind of got to let it go a little bit and it, it kind of catches up with itself. I never experimented or experienced that with Vegas Pro with all the years of editing in, in either um, Vegas Edit or in um, Magic's Movie Studio that used to be, the previous version used to be the light version of Vegas. Never encountered that before. It could very well just be that the because of the hardware that I'm using, maybe I need to go and change the setting on the audio playback. I'm not sure. I do experience that regularly. But if you're looking at someone that's looking to not do fine details, I um and and maybe your experience would be different. I probably wouldn't. Vegas Pro is probably off my list of recommended start points at this point, just because of when it goes bad, at least in version 19 and, and 18 ish. But 19, when it goes bad, it is a headache and it is. Sometimes you're sitting there fighting, trying to get a, a render done and you don't know why and something's crashing and it's crashing and you got clear temporary files. And when it goes bad, it goes really bad. So I think overall, my the average user is probably going to have a better experience in DaVinci Resolve. Um, and the, the few show stopping features that you and I had both experienced that stopped us years ago going to DaVinci Resolve are, are fixed. You can have flack audio in there. And maybe that's the problem with my playback thing. It could be the flack audio as well. Um, you can go in and um, adjust the speed of an audio clip. That was another thing where if somebody, you got a little bit of sync problem with Vegas Pro, you had to go in and um, like you would want to stretch the audio essentially to line up. You can do that in DaVinci Resolve. I'll say it's better, a far better user experience for doing that in Vegas Pro. It's a little bit clunky how you do it in DaVinci Resolve, but some people who don't use Vegas are, aren't familiar with that. Yeah, I wanted to give DaVinci a spin, and we haven't done a full review. You haven't done a full review of DaVinci Resolve, so maybe we'll do that in the future. But along the lines of upgrading for Vegas, I'm going to switch back to Vegas here. So if you get the Humble Bundle of 18, you might qualify for a reduced upgrade price. Like right now, Vegas Pro 20, which I didn't know was available until Steven said it, is available for $199, regular $399. Yes, it's that expensive. You can also do a subscription per month, and I don't know what that is. I'm not big in the subscription. You might be, but I'm not big into it. So anyway, Vegas Pro 20 with the upgrade discount is $149 right now. So that's the price that you'd pay every year, every other year or something like that, which if you divide it by 24 months, you might get down to the subscription level anyway, right? 
So I think if you get 18 on the Humble Bundle and you use it as a stepping stone to the upgrade path, if you're going to pay for Vegas anyway, it is a legitimate thing to do because you're saving, in some cases, hundreds of dollars. Now, that said, I agree with you based on your experience that DaVinci Resolve, it's getting some headway in the podcasting space. Like over on our podcasting, a lot of people are saying, hey, just use DaVinci Resolve. So it's gaining traction. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I should delicately say this or not, and I'm not going to. And I'm going to say that I, I genuinely feel that the reason why DaVinci Resolve has gotten fanfare up until now is because people are cheap and don't want to spend money. And it was a a featured editor that did quite a few things. But the problem for me was that it missed some really important things that if you are uh, someone who is doing podcast editing and you are using things like flack audio or you're needing to stretch audio and there was other things in there. I think there was a VST limitation at one point. it, it was at the time people were praising it that I thought, well, it's still lacking a lot of features that you would want if you're getting more into editing and things like that. But those things are long gone. And so that's where I think now it is more warranted and and maybe even um, a full solution for your average podcaster that want, especially ones that want to do video now. The other side of things that I want to say with the Vegas uh, Pro, you talked about the upgrade price. As you and I both know, the other thing that it will do is once you've got it, you're going to get random pop-ups as you open it. Do not turn off. If you're thinking you're going to want to upgrade, I will tell you, as much as you might be someone who usually goes in and immediately turns off the pop-ups that come up with product information when they're trying to sell you something... I would highly encourage you not to turn that off on your on your Vegas uh, software because you will occasionally go in and you'll have some form of upgrade offer. And SP and I have both had that happen over the years where it's like under hundred bucks or something. So, you know, like they do run sales and they will sometimes put exclusive blasts out to people in the software. So you might not see it outside on their website, but you'll open it up and there'll be that little ad that says, Hey, upgrade for this price. So if you're thinking about using it as a step stone, stepping stone, I would encourage you to leave that startup prompt on because SP and I have both got good deals through it before. I'm trying to remember our first foray into it. I think it was Vegas movie studio back when movie studio was actually a legitimate platform. I want to say 14 could have been 13. I don't know, but I think the when I jumped up to Vegas Pro, I think it was 16. So I've done 16, 18, 19 so far. And it's all been through those upgrades where the pop-up says it's this price. I've gone to the website and it's a better deal on the software than it is through the website. So you're absolutely right. I don't turn those pop- those pop-ups off. I leave them on. Weird advice to say. <laughs> yeah. And talking about saving money, you asked a very important question at the end of last episode. We got a bunch of responses. And the question was basically, how would you save money with your podcasting in 2023? If I could paraphrase what you said, that's what you were asking, right? You were lacking the Canadian, the thick Canadian accent, but I'll allow it. (laughs) All right. So we had some responses over on the Discord server. We had Game Buddha and he said, avoid expensive microphones. The Shure SM58 suits us well. I would agree with that. 
But I would also agree that the SM58 is about $100. And as we've said before on this show just a few weeks ago, the Zoom ZDM1 at $50 is a awesome value for the money. So are you going to get a premium sound out of it? No, but I would think you'd get about as good of a sound as an SM58 out of it and for half the price. I I would go further than that as I stutter to say I um I think that the case is is hard to be made in 2023 for something like an SM58 for your average hobby podcaster. If you obviously are trying to deal with XLR c- connections then then that brings the case back a little bit more but for an average hobby, hobby podcaster you might be starting with something that needs USB but if you are going to do the right thing uh, as far as we're concerned and get a hardware product that you know you're plugging in XLR to like a hardware recorder and we've talked about all the reasons why we're big advocates for that i think there still is more comfortable microphones for your average podcaster to use because an SM58 is a handheld dynamic microphone and i've you know, that was my first real microphone that I ever had um, was that. But it comes with all the limitations of a handheld microphone, which means keeping it only a couple fingers widths away from your mouth. And that means you've got less flexibility to move around as you're podcasting if you're going to use a handheld dynamic microphone. The handheld dynamic microphones are primarily built in music and they're meant for somebody to be sitting up close to it, singing into it, or, you know, something of of the likes of that where you're in a more fixed location. And hobby podcasters coming in probably don't have a lot of experience practicing that. They might be a little more natural to pull away from the mic a bit. And so I think you might be a little, you might benefit by having something that is meant to be sitting away a little further because you have that wiggle room to rock back and forth a little bit to adjust adjust and shift because you're not used to shoving your face onto a microphone and sitting there for however long your recording session is. And also, if you do want to go with a stick microphone as a podcaster, I would recommend going with a USB XLR microphone, even with all the detriments that Stephen just had. And right now in the United States on Amazon, the Samsung Q2U is $50. And the AT2005 is $55. It has been years since I've seen these prices. Now, the ATR2100X is not available. It's probably sold out. I don't know if they had a sale or just on availability or whatever. But those two microphones at around $50, that's a deal. I would say looking at these prices for years, the price is a deal compared to what it usually is, which is somewhere around 80 to $100 for both those microphones. So if you can get the USB XLR microphone for that price, you're going to be doing good. And why is this important for a hobby podcaster? If you get together with your buddies and you podcast, and let's say you use a Zoom PodTrack P4, P8, a Rodecaster Pro, Rodecaster Pro 2, you're in person and you connect your microphones to that. Well, the next time you're going to be at home because of whatever reason you're taking care of the kid, your dog sitting, whatever, and you can't be there in person. So you got to connect via the internet, but you only have that one device. You only have the PodTrack P4. You only have the PodTrack P8, or you only have the Rodecaster. So how are you going to connect? Well, you just take it and you throw it into whatever devices you have via USB and bingo, you have your microphone. That's why I think having one of those 
is probably beneficial over the SM58. But still, we're talking about saving money and mm-hmm. $50 versus hundreds of dollars for the microphones that we're using tonight, right? Yeah. And I want to just say, I'm not knocking the SM58. It is a great mic. And also the thing is to, a lot of times you can find them used um, because they are a popular mic within musicians. I know I see them all the time, regularly used. And also, if you are someone that is a musician, you might have a microphone like this anyways. And so you might be able to get going without buying more equipment, thus saving money. So I'm not knocking the SM58. I was just kind of going based off of the point that you're bringing up that in that price point, maybe there's alternatives even cheaper. Right. It's a good, good point, though, about saving money on the microphone. Well, so we had Johnny P chime up and uh, he's talking to you, but I'll read it for you. Okay. So then you can respond that would to be it. Great. Okay. John, Johnny P says, well, Mr. John Drew, since my upcoming podcast has not made any money yet, I guess it will still qualify as a hobby podcast. I believe that the very best way to save money is knowledge. There is so much free information on all aspects of podcasting and from current successful podcasters. How two shows like Better Podcasting, along with tons of others, both audio and video, are a wealth of knowledge. Internet researches on all questions about podcasting are out there for the asking and free. Yes, there will be wrong information, but with enough searching, you can weed through the junk. And this can all be done for free, saving you time and money for your podcasting journey. So as a hobby podcaster, I shouldn't go hire a podcast consultant. Is that what you're saying, Johnny? Well, what I read here is that he has a podcast. It just hasn't made any money yet. So Johnny, what's your RSS feed? Let us know. I want to listen to your show. Exactly. Um, I know that that's not the case, Johnny. Um, I'm sorry. I haven't responded to your text yet. I'm glad you found that SD card Uh, or the picture of. So here's the thing that I want to say, though. with this is I believe it is really good advice in 2023. There's so much information that is out there. Now, the other thing that you want to consider, because we're obviously asking from a hobby podcaster perspective, if you are looking to make money off your podcast, I agree. I think there's a lot of knowledge out there, but sometimes it can be beneficial to pay somebody to give you a neutral opinion that that's, you know, you can go out there and you can throw you could come to somebody like SP and my and me that that you know you could ask us, but we're somebody you've heard of, and we're, we're kind of not neutral because you developed your podcast based off of us. So if you were to find somebody that's outside of your circle that does this sort of thing, there could be some benefit to paying somebody for a little bit of advice on that who has some experience in that. But for a hobby podcaster perspective, I you know I just don't I I don't see paying for advice. At this time, I well, if you're going to pay for advice, if you're going to, you know, step out and you just want to make sure you're doing everything right, let me know. I do have some trusted names that I will give you and you can contact them on your own. I will tell you that the trusted names that I give you do differ slightly in the opinions that I have to begin with. So that is why I know you're going to get a good piece of advice, but I would trust them if I was running a show for a major network, I would trust all these people with it. So that is, I mean, that's high praise for, for these people and no, they don't work for major companies. They could, (laughs) but they don't. So if you are listening to this and you want to go down that road, let me know. But yes, you don't need to do this. Heck, 
there are enough places where you can post your show for feedback. Now, granted, it's free, so you're going to get what you pay for. But there are places where you can ask for feedback and you can get feedback for free. And, and the what, other, just hold on one second. I'm going to tie it to last week. We said, if you're going to start a podcast, like Liberty Dude said, you can throw it on YouTube and you can get comments on YouTube. Beware, they might not be kind, but at least they'd be free. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, the other thing I was going to kind of mention in regard to this is uh, he said that you might find some bad advice. Look at the date on the advice you're reading, if you're going to go searching on your own. If it's anything more than a couple of years old, be very aware that it's in the grand scheme of podcasting. That's a long time. It might be valid still, but there's been a lot that has happened over the last several years of podcasting. And, you know, especially kind of since 2020 with technologies and things available, it, there's been a lot of evolution. So just be aware of the date on that advice. <coughs> Blab. <coughs> <laughs> so we also had Damien, the DM, and he responded with, y'all are saving money? Sobs and paying for two websites for the last few months. All right, true story. I'm going to respond to this first. True story. I had some websites and they were costing like $300 for three years or something like that. It was just ridiculous that I was paying for. So I'm like, nope, not going to do this anymore. And one thing that you can do is you can use a podcast media host service free website. You can use that. I mean, if you're really going low ball, you can do that. The other thing you can do is you can find a nice network like Gunna Geek and you can live off the coattails of the network owner. In this case, one Stephen John Drew. And for that, I will eternally be thankful for Stephen for having the websites that we can throw our shows on. Thank you very much. That's cool. Now, I know Damien wants his own website. I, I know this, so I get where Damien's coming from, but he's also part of the Gunna Geek Network, so he has the benefit of both. First off, you're welcome. Um, and also, my apologies. There's a lot more that I, I need to do with that website. Um, but the thing that I think is important with, with this point in specific is that this sort of thing will come up where sometimes you will have something in your hobby that unfortunately you're you're paying for twice and hopefully eventually you can kind of cut some of those losses and you see this sort of thing even in other hobbies you know someone's a cyclist and they buy a bike and then all of a sudden they're like wait a minute i want to do more this than this so they buy another bike now they've paid for something twice and hopefully eventually they'll be able to sell that first one for a little bit of money but these sort of things do come up with your hobby and hobby podcasting is no different where you might have two expenses for the same thing. And eventually, hopefully, you'll get rid of one of those. Yeah, I need to get rid of some of the kids' bikes this summer. Okay, thanks for that <laughs> reminder. No worries. <laughs> Josh Liston said, if I could go back and convince myself to spend a little bit more time and money on room treatment solutions up front, it would have saved me a fortune on new mics and plugins over the succeeding decade. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a tough one because I get where he's coming from. But on the other hand, there are cases where you can get away with buying the right gear and the right setup to reduce the room sounds right now. I know that's not always true. Like say you're podcasting in New York. Now, I don't care where you are in your apartment building. You're going to hear sounds from New York city. So there is that. The other thing that I think is important to remember is that not everybody will be 
as into those little the nuance of room sound that that you might be as a audiophile or as an audio producer. And this is really apparent if you take something high production and you throw on that's meant to be listened to like from a TV or something like that, throw on a pair of headphones to hear it and really pay attention. You can hear some of these things in there. Like if you were to put a pair of headphones on and listen to some news program, you're probably going to hear a lot more taking that apart than you would hear on your TV. And the same thing applies with podcasts. Yes, there is going to be a degree of people that are hearing things with those headphones, but there's another another segment of your listeners that are going to be hearing it in their car or, you know, through speakers and whatnot. So not not everybody will pick up on all of that. So good enough can be really important to know uh, as a hobby podcaster. That's fair. So we also had a response from Chris at Podtastic Audio. He said, you can save a lot of money by doing your own editing, which most indie podcasters do already. For those that don't, the cost can add up fast. And yeah, I would agree with that because if you're actually producing a show the way that I produce a show, I'm going to cost you probably about $1,000 per show right now. That's not cheap, right? If you just want somebody to throw together an MP3 file, I don't know if you're going to want it. I mean, that's something simple that you can do yourself anyway. But if you're doing that, it shouldn't cost you all that much, but it's still going to add up over time, right? It's going to be $50 to $100 per show. You do 50 shows a year, that adds up. I think we talked about this in the Better Podcasting main show, the idea that if you're going to pay for an audio editor as a hobby podcaster, you might, and this goes a little different than what we talked about earlier, you might be better to pay somebody to teach you something about editing, right? But to Johnny's point, you don't even need to do that. But if you're going to put the money towards audio editing and you tried searching and, and you know, it's a, it's a big mountain to climb, maybe you pay somebody to to give you that that starting point if you're going to. I really don't think you would need to. I think paying somebody, if you're going to go that route, I think paying somebody like another editor already, paying somebody is probably the better choice. There are courses out there, but they're thousands of dollars. So you're not going to save any money doing that, at least in the short term. Might save you money long term if you get a podcast for 10 years or something like that, but it's a significant upfront investment. I don't know... I don't know what's out there, but also you might be able to find somebody tech savvy. Like there are still computer courses out there, introductory computer courses, contrary to the world we live in. And you might find something local that someone could give you a bit of information about that. Or you might find some online seminar or something that, but, but it is a bit of a moot point because honestly, I do think there's enough resources out there that you could self-teach yourself. You, you could you could self-teach yourself. Is, is that a phrase? Yeah, you give me an idea. My local library, I could do a course over there just to get some local people up to speed and everything. That would be kind of cool. Then you'd have to whisper, this is, a, this is Adobe Audition. <laughs> It'd pro- yeah, probably be on the, on the uh, cheap side of the house. So probably, you know, GarageBand and Audacity and DaVinci Resolve. We're, we're going to record our sample podcast now. <laughs> Okay, so the last feedback that we're going to talk about today is from Bandrew from the podcasting YouTube channel. He said, I would stick with more affordable gear because it's gotten so good. Then I'd learn open source software instead of paying for monthly Adobe licenses. And I'd consider using GarageBand instead of a Logic Pro and iMovie instead of Final Cut. 
Those last two are one-time purchases I made maybe 10 years ago, and they still get regular updates, though. So all in all, a very good investment. I'd still pay for a podcast host because I don't have time or expertise to self-host, unquote. So that's Andrew. What do you got to say there? I think that that's a good point with the software that is available out there. Um, my apologies to you hearing my dog in the background. Um, but the thing that I I would maybe say, and this is going to sound contrary to what a lot of people believe, but I still believe that the subscription model is helpful for people trying to get into something and especially if they have a low budget. And I think that you might find that some of these higher tiered products, if they do offer a subscription model, yes, it's a recurring expense, but it's better than buying things up front. And that plays into this idea of maybe using other alternative software later. Like, let's say somebody was like, you know what? I want to get into graphics design but there, there. I, I know that I want to use Affinity, uh, um, Affinity Photo, but there's not that much tutorials out there compared to the Adobe Photoshop tutorials. Well, why don't you learn on Adobe Photoshop and then try to translate that later once you have that experience to Affinity Photo if you can't figure out how to do some graphics design stuff because you don't have the resources out there. Now, that's a bit of a poor explanation because with the price point of Affinity, there is a lot of resources out there available, but you might find that. Or say you got a podcast buddy that that is using something. Like let's say that you and I were starting out together and you were using Vegas Pro and I had no editing experience at all. I might be tempted to start with Vegas Pro because I can pick your brain but maybe I don't want to pay that much money later. And later I want to go to something like DaVinci Resolve. Well, I could do a little bit of a subscription to Vegas Pro, get to know it, learn from you. And then when I'm comfortable, then I can make the jumping off point. Yeah, I actually give that same part of advice for something that apparently we're going to talk about next week because we're not going to talk about it today on another subject of you might as well use what your friends use because they're the ones that you're going to ask for help anyway. So we'll get more into that next time and the last thing that i think we're just going to comment right here is in our chat room uh sp no uh the sp number one fan johnny pennington called you out sp uh he said that you know that y'all have said nowadays a podcast is what the public perceives it to be so uh rss red is now i think he meant an rss feed is now not necessary for it to be a podcast. So he was calling you out on you calling him out that you asked him for his RSS feed. And he said, you said we don't need one. So turn right. the tables on you. <laughs> Give me the link to your show then, buddy. Give me the link to your show. You didn't think that one through, Johnny. You backed yourself into a corner there. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if you got an RSS feed or not, I guess. If you have a show, you have a show. I want to know where it is. For sure. So we'd love to know your thoughts. And hey, if you do actually have uh, something else you want to chime in about saving money, we'd love to know your thoughts. I know as we were going through that, we had some different ideas, some different comments some tangents. That's why we want your thoughts, because they're different than ours. And we'd love to share them with the audience. So please get in touch with us through any of the ways podcast at betterpodcasting.com. You can go ahead and go to betterpodcasting.com forward slash discord. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com slash contact. Or if you'd really like, you can go and you can create a podcast on YouTube that is dedicated to the feedback that you want to send us. 
<laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> All right. So in the past week, I've done a lot. Last week was just a crazy five podcast week. And yeah, there's only, I believe, going to be one more of those left in my career. And it's coming up in the next month or so when we do Gonna Geek. But I have done a couple now. I've actually produced a couple of Better Podcasting Chats with SP. The first was with professional cuddler Felicity Azura, and that's out there. She's on the younger side and had some definite opinions with the podcasting space. So it was interesting talking to her and getting the youth thought process out from that. And then I just, right before this podcast recorded, I published the next episode of Better Podcasting Chats with SP with Julian and Gianna Quickstad, who are married and they do a psychology podcast together. So that was an interesting discussion. They were a delight to talk to. They're relatively newer podcasters, but it's amazing. Just by whatever they were saying, they could actually do a podcasting panel at a major podcasting conference. They would get away with all our great advice and they claim that they never listened to our show before. So it was great hearing a independent confirmation of everything that we've been talking about. It, it really was. It was pretty cool. And then I'm also doing the Strange New Worlds fan cast with the final season of Picard, which is really cool for me to do for a couple of reasons, helping out a friend that had a stroke. Also, finishing off this arc with these characters that started in 1987. It's 2023 right now. And this is finishing off their arcs. Lots of great storylines that are being stitched together there. So a couple of great podcasts to listen to. And if you want to hear the other podcast that I'm doing, that's, that's all. There's the Gonna Geek show, but you know, it's once a month. Hey, I podcast on a boat with the Gonna Geek show. It's a good show. That's true. That was, that was good. Hey, if you want to check out that, we will put a link in the show notes to the episode where, uh, of Gonna Geek, where SP podcast on a boat, kind of. I recorded from a boat and it was played on a podcast. <laughs> uh, so that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for episode number 47 of Better Podcasting Live Chat. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, hey, for those of you watching the vertical side of things, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm SP saying we'll see everybody next week for the finale of season two of Better Podcasting Live Chat. Bye. See ya. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.